Hello and welcome to the Edify Podcast. This is designed for you, preacher, teacher, shepherd, deacon of the kingdom of God, for your edification, for your uplifting, for your ministry. Well, good Wednesday morning to you all as you are thinking about this coming Sunday, as you're thinking about preaching, when you're thinking about um, saying something that will resonate. It's going to be the day after Christmas, so you're going to have people in the crowd who came because of Mama. And so you want to you want to keep that in mind. Uh, you want to consider your audience. You know, this is maybe the only time they're going to be here. Often what's called Christers, Christmas and Easter Christians, uh, folks who... Um, who seek the Lord while he may be found, while they're expected to find him on those days that they're expected to find him, Christmas and Easter. But I don't, I don't want to talk about those folks. I want to shift um, to one particular passage in Psalm 94 and verse 9. He who formed the eye, does he not see? So as you're thinking about your crowd, you're thinking about the brethren, you're thinking about the visitors, you're thinking about all of those people that's involved their mourning and their sorrow and their sacrifice and their hurting and their pain, their suffering, their joy, their elation, their glad, their their pregnancies, their miscarriages, all of these things that are involved in considering who is there, I want you to consider most of all, be mindful that you preach in the sight of God. One of the truths that has served as a great motivation to me and to a lot of other preachers in our efforts to handle God's word properly and to preach it with excellence is found in something that Paul said to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17. For we are not like many peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God we speak in Christ in the sight of God. That's the audience. You know that. You know that. I know you know that. And 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 but but sometimes we forget that and we forget that that's where we're headed. We forget that preaching is an act of worship and we treat it more as something that's consumer-based and consumer-driven and we want to give something that's palatable that should be worship. But we give it to please the audience. So let me caution you, don't don't be too extreme one way or the other. Don't hate the brethren, but also don't, don't lust over the brethren so your sermons change in those ways. Paul knew very well that everything that he said and taught others was taking place in the sight of God. Hebrews 4 and verse 13, the Bible says, There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do, or that we have to give an account is the idea. This should motivate all who handle God's word uh, to do so carefully and faithfully. Not only is everything you speak happening in the sight of God, one day you will stand before him to have your life and ministry evaluated. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed, paid back is the idea for his deeds, uh, that that God's going to look for his deeds in in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So God will see. God will see everything that I have done, good and bad. Thankfully, thankfully, as a New Testament Christian washed in the blood of Jesus, the Lord will not hold me accountable to the things that I did wrong because the atoning work of Jesus, thankfully. But for the unsaved, it will be a judgment of condemnation. So 1 Corinthians three thirteen through 15, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the, if the work survives, the idea is that the builder will receive a reward. But if, but if the work is burned up, what does the text say? 
um, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through <laughs> a wall of flames is the idea. But think of that. One day your work and your ministry, your preaching is going to be evaluated by the Lord. It's, it's, it's a, uh, something that I don't know that we'll be privy to, but it will be something that we poured over, we, we put out, we put out in the heart of man, and one day fire will consume it and expose it is the idea. And so we will be saved regardless. We, we as preachers and teachers and shepherds of God's word, we, we will be saved regardless of how recipients received and applied it. But it will be, it will be exposed whether it will be saved or not. So one day, your ministry, your preaching is going to be evaluated. It's going to be uh, combed through. Inventory will be taken. And so that tells me that I, I purposefully need to reverently preach his truth with great care. So not only do I recognize that I'm, I'm preaching in the sight of God, but I'm preaching that God may be glorified. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever you do, do all of the glory of God. In his first epistle, Peter wrote, as each one has received a gift, minister to the Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. The word manifold there means exposed or seen. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God, and if anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. Why? That in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. 1 Peter 14 and 11. This has to be must be one of our supreme goals when we preach, preaching to bring God glory. We bring God glory in our preaching by leading others to praise him and cherish elevated, um, reverential, proper thoughts, exalted, exalting thoughts about him and his word. And since the goal is seeing that God gets the glory in and through our preaching, there's never a time for boasting or magnifying ourselves in the pulpit. Jeremiah 9, 23, 24. Don't, don't do that. The preacher must remember that everything, his eloquence, reason, voice, imagination, good health, sleep, as we talked about yesterday, all of those things, his abilities, the entire life is a gift and creation of God. This is to say nothing about the ground the church sits on the wood making up the pulpit, all of those things. All of these things were created through him and for him, Colossians 1.16. Where is the room for boasting, drawing attention to ourselves, robbing God of the glory that belongs belongs to him? There is none. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing, John 15.5. Knowing this, Paul said, may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world, Galatians 6.14. When he wrote to the Ephesians uh, in chapter 3 and verse 8, Paul says to me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. Humility should mark the life of every disciple of Jesus. How much more are those who, who preach and teach God's word? Recalling a time, when he was about to teach and preach, John Jowett, the man who assumed G. Campbell Morgan's role at Westminster Chapel, uh, says someone prayed for him, O oh Lord, we thank thee for our brother. Now blot him out. Reveal thy glory to us in such blazing splendor that he shall be forgotten. What a, what a great prayer. 
and, and, and oh, that more people would leave us, you know, and leave our sermons forgetting about us because their hearts and minds are overflowing with the praise and elevated reverential thoughts about our glorious God. So preaching, number one, realistically, you, you need to be mindful that you preach in front of God and you preach for the glory of God. And so keep your comments brief when you step up to the pulpit. Uh, pulpit. Warren Wiersbe said, General comments about the weather, the congregation, the music, the, 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 the special guests, the, uh, and even the announcements. For goodness sake, start preaching. You see some preachers, they get up there, and they want to talk about how great this is and how this great work is and how this great work is. And no other, no other part of worship do we do that. But why is it that some people think that as soon as they start preaching, they can get up there and start having a discourse about something other than the worship that they are being challenged and charged to lead? I don't understand it. When you approach the pulpit to preach, don't get bogged down with the peripheral matters. Make a beeline as quickly as possible to the teaching and to the preaching Warren Wiersbe, we, we, we just listened him. Listen to him again. He, he says, quote, A preacher is like a man who hears a call for help and drops everything to run to the rescue. When he spends five or ten minutes getting into his sermon, he is like a man pausing to visit an art gallery before diving into the ocean to save the drowning swimmer. End quote. Some of the chief waster, chief time wasters, are preachers, and they get entangled uh, with things that are you know, uh, as Wiersbe said, general comments about the weather, the congregation. Uh, Wiersbe says the music, and, and, and worship is to be music, music of our hearts, a cappella. Um, but but they, they get into those kind of things. And so Wiersbe says if you feel constrained to discuss the uh, those kinds of things, do so before you stand up to preach. But keep in mind that every minute you waste early in the service, you will rob of your preaching time. That's true. That's true. And maybe, maybe some preachers get up there because they don't have anything to say. And they get up there and talk about all kinds of things and, and not their sermon because they don't really know their sermon. Anyway, but, but let's also discuss this. Let's, let's, let's focus about comments about the sermon itself. Wiersbe says some preachers don't seem to understand that we don't want to hear about the sermon. We want to hear the sermon. On one more than one occasion... We may have um, found ourselves uh, repressing the strong desire to shout, for goodness sake, uh, start preaching um, when, when we've sat in the crowd and somebody begins to elate about the day and the weather and the work and the things and so on and so on and so on, like there's another, another, uh, another time for announcements. So when you get up there, preach, preach. Worship God in preaching. So let's move on to number next. Don't don't feel it necessary as you begin your te- your teaching your preaching to always review your previous message. It can be where I get up and say, "Now you recall last week," and, and if you're preaching a, a series of sermons, that's fine. Um, but but if they if they string together, that's fine. That's fine. But but don't don't go over the sermon prior. Don't don't unless it's absolutely needful. Don't recant because they they probably don't remember, and, and you don't remember most of it unless you, unless you've just studied it this previous week. But reviewing previously covered territory can be helpful to your listeners. But if you do that every week, or if you go on reviewing too long, people are going to tune you out. Okay, we learned that lesson. Let's move on. Wearsby says, "Here sits a man with a broken heart and a problem filled with life." 
Um, he came to the church hoping to get some help from God's word. Uh, Wearsby says, quote, the choir has sung and the song helped prepare him for the message. Now, you and I well know choirs are not biblical. They're not at all. Uh, the whole congregation is to sing a cappella. We know that. But the preacher opens his mouth and says, now you recall that last week, or was it two weeks ago? We discussed the first six verses of this chapter. And so instantly our, our, our needy visitors say, well, I should have come last week, but maybe there's still some hope. Instead, the preacher gets pointing right, the preacher getting to the point, he tries to summarize three weeks of preaching, and by that time, our friend isn't listening anymore. So, that's an end quote. If you're going to review previous material, keep it concise. You, you might say something like, in last week's study, we looked at the events surrounding Jesus' resurrection. So, in today's study, we're going to consider the events that follow the resurrection. If people want to get a point-by-point -point recap of previous teaching, they can go to the church website. I mean, today, 2021, um, Everybody's got to be on there now because of COVID. So they can go to the website, they can go to the YouTube, they can listen, they can get a CD, they can go to the podcast, whatever. So don't feel it necessary as you begin your teaching to always preview, preview or review rather your previous message. The next thought is to preach the word with confidence and authority. Second Corinthians three and verse twelve. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. The Bible is God's authoritative word to man. Because this is the case, proclaim it confidently. God did not give it shiver. God did not give it to us shivering. He gave it to us confidently, not with self-confidence, you and I, but with the confidence, or I might say Godfidence, that as you speak forth God's word, the king is speaking. Spurgeon said on one occasion, quote, I, re I recollect a young man going into a pulpit to address a congregation. He began by saying that he hoped they would pardon his youth and forgive his um, impertinence in coming to speak to them. Some foolish old gentleman said, quote, How humble that young man is to talk like that, end quote. But another brother said, What a dishonor to the Lord and Master. If God sent him with a message to those people, what does it matter whether he is young or old? Such mock modesty as that is out of place in the pulpit, end quote, of that quote. He said, I think that second man was right. A true minister of the gospel is an ambassador for Christ. Do our ambassadors go to foreign courts with apologies or carrying message from their sovereign? End quote. Spurgeon is right. Our country's ambassadors, when they leave this country, we hope, they don't go about apologizing unless their king or country has done something that is wrong. Now, our heavenly king has done nothing wrong ever. Therefore, there is no need to be apologetic in the pulpit. The only time that you and I need to apologize is if we have said something out of step with the Holy Spirit's emotion, out of the Holy Spirit's text itself. Then I should apologize, and I should apologize wholeheartedly. But if it is the truth that will stand when this world is on fire, I need not to apologize, or God will be apologetic to me. <laughs> meaning that he is sorry that he ever allowed me to step into his pulpit if I'm going to cower the word of God. When Paul said that they were ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 20, when you speak forth God's word, do you have that same mindset? The, 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 the Thessalonian church was considered to be, quote, God taught all of the churches today are God-taught if they are taught with the Scriptures of God. 
as it is through God speaking through the preaching. The Holy Spirit is is trying to prick or pierce the heart of the one in in the ear of the one listening. Because that is the case. A herald of the king should not say things like, I hate to say this, but blank is sinful. If Jesus' words here offend you, I'm sorry. I didn't say that. God said that. See, those type of statements are not are, are, are not to be found in our in our vocabulary. Now, our demeanor may need to be softer. Our tact may need to be more wiser when we're delivering a truth. There may be a time. There are some times where some brethren aren't ready to hear things. And that's true. And that's a biblical, wise position to take. Now, should we, should we wholeheartedly avoid it? No. Uh, should we never preach on it again? No. No, 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 no. Not at all. You know that and I know that. And, and I trust you know me to know that, to love the truth. But sometimes there is wisdom intact. Jesus said to his disciples, I have more to say to you, but, but you could not bear it. So the herald of God's word should declare what God has said, unashamedly with authority and conviction. Paul's second epistle to Timothy, he said in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 2, you say it with me, preach the word. Kenneth Woust, Woust, however you want to pronounce that, well-known Greek scholar would say the word preach here, quote, was used of the imperial herald, spokesman of Caesar Augustus, who, when entering a town as a representative of the emperor, would make a public proclamation of the emperor's message with such formality, gravity, and authority as must be heeded and obeyed. A full translation, therefore, of Paul's exhortation, make a public proclamation of the word with such formality, gravity, and authority as must be heeded and obeyed. That's true. When you stand up to teach and preach the scriptures, you are a messenger not for Caesar, but for the king of Caesars, the king of kings. If you've interpreted the passage carefully, if you have deduced and ascertained biblical authority in your preaching, then you can speak authoritatively. Paul told Timothy, preach, 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 and do not let them rebuke you. Do not let them look down on you. Preach with all authority. It's the king's authority, not yours. Not only can you speak this way, you should speak this way. Paul told Titus, by implication, these things speak and exhort and approve with all authority. I want you to speak confidently, Titus 2, 15, 3 and, 18, 3 and 8. Rather. This does not mean yelling. It doesn't mean shaking your fist. Brian Chapel points out that a, a preacher confident in the Bible's truth is able to preach with great force or with great gentleness and speak with authority. The authority of the word enables us to say the most challenging things to any person without apology. But that same authority, let us speak tenderly without compromising the truth. Authority was one of the things that impressed those who heard Jesus teach. Matthew tells us when Jesus had ended these sayings, which was the Sermon on the Mount, that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes, Matthew 7, 28, 29. The scribes were always quoting the opinions of the rabbis. How frustrating it must have been to listen to, to them teach. And I imagine some of their listeners wanted to stand up. They wanted to say, what does God have to say about the matter? Jesus came along and told the people, this is the way it is in the kingdom of God. Matthew, Mark 4, 26, 10 and 14, 23 through 24. The people were astonished by that. 
So research the passage, interpret the passage correctly, pray for boldness, Acts 4, 29 through 31, Ephesians 6, 19, then emulate Jesus, speak with authority, preach the word of God, and speak directly to the people you are teaching, not neglecting to use the word you. F.B. Meyer said there must be a difference, rather a directness in our address. Each sermon must say in the words of Nathan, quote, thou art the man. We need to be careful not to neglect to speak directly to the listeners. Uh, maybe you or I can continually say things like this. As Christians, we need to be careful how we talk about others. Quote, we need to remember that God loves us. Or believers need to accept. Or maybe some of us need to admit that we are guilty. And we want those listeners to listen and to understand that I knew I was one of them, no better than them, or maybe maybe that's what's in your mind, and that that they and I are in in need of the same teaching that that they were receiving. So maybe your intentions are good, but I believe I believe now that that we may be doing people a disservice. There are times for us to speak in this way, and even times when we should speak this way. But I think it is far better for listeners to feel as though the the speaker, the preacher, which is you, means him by saying the Bible says that you must be careful how you speak about others and that God loves you. If you look at the message of the preachers in the Bible, it is amazing to note the lack of the word we. Throughout the scriptures, when one of God's heralds vocally addressed a group of people, he spoke very directly. The examples abound. I mean, if you think about, I mean, just just think about the OG uh, Acts chapter 2, the, the the first gospel sermon, we might say, when Peter's preaching over and over again, he, he said things like this, you men of Israel, and you yourselves, and you did crucify. I mean, consider Jesus' directness in the Sermon on the Mount. You are the light of the world. Your Father knows that you need, you know, um, before you ask him, beware of the false prophets, you who come um, in sheep's clothing which is in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. John the Baptist said, do, do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, we have Father Abraham our father. He said, be content with your wages, your wages, Luke three thirteen. The Old Testament prophets spoke this way also. And so rather than say we can't serve God and money, there are times when it is best to say you cannot serve God and money. God desires, you may say, that we rejoice in the Lord. But, but maybe there's times where you need to say, God desires that you rejoice in the Lord. You may say, some of us are struggling with anxiousness. But maybe we should say, perhaps some of you are struggling with anxiousness. And I know there needs to be a balance. I know there needs to be a balance where we, we understand that even though one finger's coming out, three's coming backwards. And so that needs to be a, a humble attitude. But there are times when when you, preacher, need to get convicting by calling them and talking to them. So the people in your congregation need to know the message has something for them personally. This is a personal challenge and you may not be struggling with this. And so don't lump yourself in the same lump of folks who are struggling with something because if they say, if they hear you say, well, we all struggle with this and we struggle with that or maybe this or maybe that and I'm involved and this is that, they need you to lead them. 
Now, lead them from humility, yes. Lead them, Galatians chapter 6, considering yourself, yes. But there are sins that you are not guilty of, and so do not lump yourself in with them because they need somebody who is not in that sin with them to walk them out. And then there's some people who do. There's some people who won't respond to you unless you have been where they have been. And so there's a balance. Absolutely there's a balance. That's the key, not to be extreme one way or the other. Don't make your, your sermon so much directed that everybody thinks that you're whipping them every Sunday and that you're exempt from the whipping. Uh, but also it's the case, but don't make every sermon that's that you're doom and gloom, that you're lost and that you're without hope and that you don't have a drive and a passion. So just be balanced. So thinking about that, preach with passion. Preach with passion. Martin Lloyd-Jones, preaching is theology coming through a man who is on fire. A man who can speak about these things dispassionately has no right whatsoever to be in the pulpit. Spurgeon told the story long ago of a man traveling in the dark of night by foot, and he was headed toward a bridge that had collapsed in a storm-swollen, raging river. Someone attempted to stop him from going further, saying that he had heard the bridge might be out. There was no conviction in the man's voice, so the traveler continued walking, supposing that the man to be in error. Then another man came along and said, Sir, sir, the bridge is gone. Oh, yes, replied the traveler. Someone told me that a story a while ago, but I'm sure it is an idle tale. Oh, it is true, exclaimed the other. I barely escaped being carried away with it myself. You must not go on. In the excitement of his feelings, he grasped the traveler by the hands, by the arms, by the clothes. Convinced by the earnest voice, the earnest eyes, the earnest gestures, the traveler turned back and was saved. So it was only through a burning zeal for the salvation of the lost, a zeal glowing in the heart and flashing out in look and action and utterance, that the confidence of the unbelief can be overcome and the heedless travelers of the broad way won to the path of life and happiness. What a story. I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. The Bible agrees wholeheartedly. The Bible teaches it, that our preaching should come across with earnestness, with zeal, with passion. This doesn't mean that we're marching around with the pulpit, large gestures, raised voices, shouting hands, clanging and banging. But we should seek to be the kind of people who are genuinely enthusiastic about the things of God. So much so that when we teach others, our conviction and passion are evident. In a sermon that he delivered uh, 1856, I believe, New Park Street Chapel uh, in England, Spurgeon said, If ministers of the gospel were more hardy in their work of preaching, if they would preach the word of God and preach it as if they were pleading for their own lives, then, my brethren, we might expect great success. We cannot expect it while we go about our work in a half-hearted way and have not the zeal that earnestness, that deep purpose which characterized those men of old, end quote. If we are spiritually drowsy in the pulpit, we're going to have a very difficult time con convincing, convicting our listeners that what we say is important or even worth listening to. 1656, the Puritan preacher Richard Baxter wrote, How few ministers preach with all their might or speak of everlasting joy or torment with conviction. Instead, we speak so drowsily or gently that sleeping sinners cannot hear. Sleeping sinners. And I might add some saints in there. 
think of our lack of conviction, our lack of passion, is because we are really not convicted of the truthfulness of what we preach. And if we are not convinced, why should they be? Spurgeon said, if you want to win souls for Christ, feel a solemn alarm about them. You cannot make them feel if you do not feel yourself. Believe their danger. Believe their helplessness. Believe that only Christ can save them and talk to them as if you mean it. If you can rest without their being saved, they will rest too. But if you are filled with agony for them, if you cannot bear that they should be lost, you will soon find that they are uneasy too. I hope you will get into such a state that you will dream about your child or your hearer perishing for a lack of Christ and start up at once and begin to cry, Oh God, give me converts or I will die. Then you will have converts. End quote. Spurgeon says to begin to cry out. That's, that's a cure for passionless preaching. That is the remedy for preachers who realize he's lacking zeal and earnest for the, for the things of God. Will not God answer the prayer of the person who runs to his throne of grace and fervently cries out for God to stir his heart, revive him, change him, give him, as F.B. Meyer said, a passion for his glory, a passion for the souls of men that his word may glow and burn like coals? Surely, <laughs> he sure will. And those are the very kinds of prayers that you can be certain God will answer in the affirmative, 1 John 5, 14 and 15. Preach in the present tense, not only those things, but also preach in the present tense. God is faithful, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. One of the goals in preaching is to bring the truths of Scripture into the here and the now. Elements of preaching. Warren and David Wearsby said, nobody goes to church to find out what happened to the Jebusites. A sermon that lingers in the past tense is not really a sermon at all. It is either a Bible story or a lecture. We live in the present tense, and we need to hear what God has to say to us today. End quote. Absolutely true. So instead of emphasizing the following as a main point, quote, God was faithful to the children of Israel in the wilderness, bring that truth into the present. It is true that God was faithful, but it would be better to emphasize God is faithful. God will be faithful. Uh, rather for you to make a main point of a sermon to say, quote, God forgave them when they repented, consider this, God forgives repentant sinners. Rather than say compromise led Solomon to great disobedience, maybe say it this way, compromise leads to greater disobedience. I hope you can see the difference. We're bringing the truths of the Bible into the here and to the now. It is good, even necessary, to point out the facts about the past. Romans 15, 4, 1 Corinthians 10 and 11. But you can excel as a preacher if you will hammer home to your listeners the present realities. The Bible tells us that God is the same today as he was in the days of Old Testament. Hebrews 13, 8. The principles of the, of the truths of the Bible are timeless. God says, I am the Lord. I do not change, Malachi 3, 6. Anything that was true about the nature and character of God in the Bible is true of him in our day today. And so remind your listeners of that. Remind them of that. So, concerning this preaching, this preaching of the word, be, be direct. Be direct. Be confident. Preach with boldness. Speak directly. Preach with passion. Preach in the present tense. That's the aim. That's the purpose of preaching. Convict them. Convict them with current news. It is the age old. It is the, the ways of old, the old past. But you're bringing them to light 
then you're preaching them with conviction. Or are you convicted? Something you need to consider. Maybe I'm not convicted. Maybe I'm not converted. Maybe I'm in a slump. Maybe I'm down. God sees. God knows. As we just mentioned, reach out. Ask Him to revive you. Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. That that prayer of old can be your prayer and is needful for your prayer. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Lord, don't take your spirit from me. Help me to have zeal. Help me to have passion. Maybe those need to be your prayers. Maybe they need to be your prayer at this very moment. And as you wind down this podcast, you wind down this episode, this preaching, this declarative work of the Holy Spirit through you and through your study and time of the Word, reflect upon that. Am I convicted? Am I converted? May God bless you in the preaching with the passion of His Word.